Hi there, you're listening to EduPod. I'm Ashley. And I'm Akita. This season, we are treasuring teachers and understanding the many facets of teacher appreciation as we ask ourselves, how can we better value teachers within and beyond the settings of academia? Today, we are speaking with Anna, an AP physics teacher. She's been a teacher for over five years and has taught several STEM courses, including chemistry, pre-AP physics, and forensic science. Outside of teaching, she is also working on her master's in computer science from UT Austin. Her dream is to build tools for STEM teachers and take STEM education to the next level. During today's candid conversation, Anna talks about her experiences as a teacher and her hopes for what teacher appreciation should really look like. Anna, thank you so much for being here with us today. We are super excited to have a conversation about teacher appreciation and your take on it. So I guess I'm just going to get started um, with asking you what inspired you to pursue teaching. Yeah. Thank you, Ashley. Um, Thank you, first of all, for inviting me here to talk about teacher appreciation. Um, So what inspired me to pursue teaching? Um, I graduated college and I joined a program called Teach for America. And originally I entered Teach for America thinking that after the two-year commitment, I would uh, go to medical school because that's what I went to college for. Um, but after the first year of teaching that summer, I kind of had an epiphany. I realized that my heart is not in medicine. That's not my calling. Um, my calling is actually education. Um, I come from a family of educators and doing Teach for America and being in the classroom and interacting with students. Um, I learned so many things from the students. Um, and I realized that I had a passion for um, just pouring into youth um, and, yeah, just investing in the next generation. And I think I really enjoyed spending time with students in the classroom. Um, so, yeah, that's what got me into teaching. Wow. So, yeah, I feel like, you know, a lot of people kind of like go into teaching knowing from the get go. But it's it's fun to hear when people uh kind of have a certain experience that draws them into teaching. Right. Um, just out of curiosity, what is your favorite part about teaching? What is the thing that makes you like super passionate about it? It's got to be the students, just the relationship that I get to build with students in the classroom. That's what always grounds me to this career and this passion. Um, obviously, I also enjoy teaching, like just the idea of learning something and then um, breaking it down to bite-sized pieces for others to learn. I think that the best way to learn is to teach. So I really do enjoy that process. Um, But I always come back to, you know, the relationship I built with students. That's what really uh, keeps me in the classroom. Yeah, that's incredible. I think, um, I feel like being the teacher, you're kind of working on the grounds and in the classrooms with the teacher, it's so much more hands-on. Can you 
kind of walk us through what does, I guess, your typical day look like, um, like as you prepare for classes for your students? I know the pandemic kind of just changed what traditional teaching kind of looked like. Right. But yeah, how, how did your traditional day as a teacher look like both before the pandemic and then during, during the pandemic when I, I believe most of it was uh, remote learning? To be honest, I'm still trying to find a way to, you know, balance my work and life. But what I do during the nine months that I do teach um, is that I would get up around 5 a.m. or 5.30 a.m. And I would actually start working on the lesson a little bit more. And then I would be at school um, around 6.30 a.m., um, print the worksheets for the day. And then my first period actually starts at 7.30 a.m., which is very early for high schools. And different high schools have different starting times. And we just happen to start really early. And then I teach um, six classes per day. Traditionally, I would just stand in front of a classroom and teach. Um, but this year, because of the pandemic, I would have in-person students as well as online students. So I would have, you know, my computer in front of me on Zoom and then I have another smart board or some sort of, you know, board behind me also on Zoom. Um, so I would be teaching to in-person students as well as online students at the same time. And then my last period actually ends by 2.37 p.m. And then I um, would have after school tutorial and I usually get home around 4 or 5 p.m on a good day. And then I wish I could say that I'm done, but I'm usually not done. And I would keep working until I go to sleep. So um, there's a lot of, you know, learning the content, just making sure that I know what I'm talking about, because I do teach AP physics, and I want to make sure um, that what I have learned and what I'm about to deliver is correct. And it's easy to understand. So I spent a lot of time planning my lessons. And I'm still trying to find a way to have my weekends back, but <laughs> just nonstop work for nine months. Wow, that sounds like, yeah, that's, that's a very long work day. Um, and I, I, I feel like we hear a lot about teachers working beyond just the school hours, but I think hearing um, what your day actually looks like definitely puts it in more perspective. Kind of to that point, I want to ask, um, what are there, do you think there are assumptions about what the profession of teaching really looks like? And um, yeah, what, what do you think are those assumptions and perceptions of people and how they are right or wrong? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have to say, you know, when I was when I was in high school, right, and um, I had a lot of assumptions about my high school teachers as well. I was like, you know, um, you have summer break. That's so nice, you know, as professionals. And then um, you just teach the same lesson over and over. So there's minimal work. Um, that's kind of the, like the assumptions I had before I became a teacher. And I can only imagine um, what assumptions other people have, you know, when, if they don't know a teacher personally. Um, and what I have heard from, you know, even family members is that they assume that my job is really easy, um, that I don't have to do much. I'm basically there to, you know, babysit. I'm not saying babysitting is necessarily easy, but, um, you know, for, a professional, it's kind of hard to hear that when you 
do have to not only get up early, go to bed late, but work nonstop in between. And I also want to say that, um, of course, there are all kinds of teachers out there, right? And I also do admit that what I'm doing right now um, in terms of my career may not be sustainable. So I'm still trying to find a way to balance all that. Um, But, you know, at the end of the day, teaching is not as easy as what many people may assume, um, because there's a lot of work that goes into lesson planning and grading and writing recommendation letters. Um, And there's also a lot of emotional investment for students you know, who may be going through a hard time, or you may have to deal with parents who are going through a hard time and kind of projecting that onto you. Um, And so there are different aspects of teaching that um, the general public may not really see or understand. And then so they make the assumption that it's easy to do. Thank you for sharing that. I think you're absolutely right. I think so many people really do just think that you sit in a classroom and then you get summer break off um, as a teacher and it's so wrong. And I want to ask you something that is maybe not something that is asked very often. Um, but what's the most difficult part of your job and being a teacher? And and you can break that into, you know, whether or not that's uh, pre-COVID or during COVID. Um, we'd love to hear both. I can only speak for myself. Um, I think for me, what's most difficult is not necessarily the tasks that you have to do, but the reality that sometimes it doesn't matter how hard you work. It doesn't matter how much energy you pour into a lesson or how much you pursue a student in terms of helping them academically, socially, emotionally, that the result doesn't necessarily rest on your effort. Um, And what's difficult for me is that I have to be okay with letting go of that control. And I have to be okay with everything not being perfect, which is hard for me because I'm a perfectionist. But to recognize that that you, you, you try your best all the time, but it also depends on whether or not the students can receive it well. So I think for me, the most difficult part of my job is just keeping up with hope and keeping up with optimism and not being jaded and not being disillusioned by whether it's the quote unquote system or just how hard it is to truly impact a person. And I think that's just a balance that is very difficult for me. So sometimes it's very easy for me to lose hope to lose sight of why I'm doing this because I don't see immediate results no matter how hard I I work that's the difficult part for me yeah I can't imagine I think um just the way you worded it um which is no matter how much effort you put at some point there's some there's a detachment in terms of um the effort that you're putting in versus the output that's coming. And so you can't really, really directly correlate your efforts to the output. And because of that, yeah, hanging on to that hope can be difficult. My question to you is, how how do teachers deal with that? I imagine a lot of teachers might be sharing your sentiment. 
currently, are there ways for teachers, uh, like, are there support groups? Are there um, maybe counselors in the school that teachers have access to? Like, what are some resources out there for teachers to help them work through some of these sentiments and these, um, I guess, ups and downs that come with the job? I know there are actually quite a few teacher support groups out there. I know of a group called uh, 40-Hour Workweek. It's uh, a separate entity founded, created by and for teachers to kind of help teachers, um, you know, balance their work life better. So there are groups like that to kind of support teachers that way. And I know, at least for my school, the counselors are always offering help for teachers as well, especially this year. But what I want to point out is that when you're so drowned by work, it's it sometimes feel like an extra layer of work to even reach out and go to those support groups or take advantage of those things. And so at least that's what I found myself um, feeling is that, oh, I have to now actually talk about these uh, you know, struggles. It's in a in a very formal setting, and that's kind of difficult. Or, oh, I have to listen to this podcast to actually learn something to help with my work life balance, and I don't have time to do that. And so, there are barriers to even wanting to utilize those resources, even though they're out there. Um, and I also think that what's important for teachers is for their personal life that they would have friends or family members who are actually aware of where they are, where they are emotionally, um, and how draining their profession can be. Um, For me personally, my husband has been a constant source of support. And I'm really lucky to, you know, have someone who sees it all and understands me and supports me. And, you know, he even helps me grade a lot of the times as a result. Uh, Another aspect that people can look into is, you know, if you are a religious person, maybe you have a faith-based organization that can give you hope that is external to your circumstances, right? Regardless of what you're going through, you may have a source of hope that is um, beyond your circumstances. And I think that's what I often find myself relying on ultimately. Um, because at the end of the day, I, I have to recognize that I am limited. And even when there are resources out there for me, I am so limited that I cannot even take advantage of them. And so what ultimately comforts me is, and grounds me is, oh, maybe my, you know, where the source of my hope is. And I think that's what I, you know, fall to at the end of the day. Thank you so much for sharing that. You know, I think so often it it, it does fall on the teachers and it's like, you know, you have people at the school saying, oh, well, you need to, you know, practice self-care, but then that self-care, you also have to put effort into how do I find self-care so that I can be rejuvenated and come back to school the next day, right? And I think that this does really tie to teacher appreciation. And I want to ask you, you know, how are you receiving appreciation 
from students, parents, uh, your school administrators, in a way that doesn't put kind of that self-care aspect on you to perform, but that actually shows appreciation for for what you're doing and and supports you. From students and parents, I do, you know, receive thank you notes and thank you emails. And they always, always brighten my day um, and lift my spirit up, you know, um, because sometimes you you just want to hear uh, words of affirmation, um, especially after a long day and after a long month or a long year. Um to hear that and sometimes from the most unexpected students, right? And that's when you feel like, oh, it was all worth it. Um, and it can just be something small like that. And I do receive that and I very much appreciate that. Um, on a school-wide level and also on a community level, at least for my district, um, we do have different um, luncheons for, din- for uh, teachers. And I think that's really great just to see how community members also support us and see us. Um, Those are the things that don't require the extra steps of reaching out for self-care. Those are the things that just instantly uplifts your spirit, you know? Yeah, I think, I, I think anybody listening to this, no matter the profession can agree that even just the kindest words can go, the impact of that can go a long way. Hi, I'm Darren. And I'm Sarah. We are the producers of EduPod. If you are enjoying this episode, please support us by making a donation at acornlabs.org. All donations will be used for continuing to build this podcast series, and even a small donation will go a long way. While you're visiting us at our website, click the links to our socials for more updates on our future episodes and initiatives. Now back to the episode. Um, I do want to ask a little bit more about teacher appreciation as it's done now. Um, what, for the, yeah, I think first of all, how, how are, what are different ways in which teachers are currently appreciated in the classrooms? And what elements do you think is it doing good at? And what elements do you think it, it is lacking? I think everything I mentioned before are really good aspects of teacher appreciation. The aspects where it may be lacking is, like this week in May is Teacher Appreciation Week. Um, the idea that we want to do certain formalized events under the name of Teacher Appreciation, when I think what would also be very helpful for teachers is if we have the mindset of appreciation in the day-to-day throughout the year. Um, And I'm not saying that, oh, I need to receive a thank you note every single day (laughs) for the nine months that I teach. Um, But it's just the idea that if you appreciate someone, you automatically respect that person and you treat them with respect like they are professionals. And so for me, what really helps is teacher appreciation in the form of respect. And let me go a little deeper on that because I think it sounds a little big right now. So what I mean by that is, for example, on a school level or district level, right? What respect would look like is when administrators make policies 
um, that teachers are not the last ones to find out and that, you know, we feel like we have an active say, we have voice, um, we have a voice in their decision making. And, you know, when administrators come up with a list of expectations for teachers, whether at the beginning of the year or throughout the year, um, that they actually listen to teacher feedback. Um, I think more often than not, unfortunately, um, a lot of the expectations on their list are not realistic. And then sometimes teachers actually trust their administrators enough to voice that. But if the administrators do not listen to teacher pushback, then, you know, from our perspective, there's that lack of respect as professionals because we are in the front lines and we understand um, how the classrooms work, you know, in our specific communities. And so if we say something is unrealistic, we actually have evidence that it wouldn't work or it wouldn't help. Um, so for administrators to still push those expectations onto us, um, we don't feel as respected and therefore not as appreciated. So I think the issue with teacher appreciation is that it shouldn't be limited to one week. It should underlie the entire you know, course of our profession in that we want to be respected as professionals and we want to have our voices heard and we want to have an active say in decision making um, in the district because we are on the ground working with students and we know what the issues are and we know what we can do better to help um, because ultimately it comes down to how we can, you know, better support the future generation. And so to have our voices heard more is probably the best way we can be appreciated on the day-to-day. Thank you so much for sharing that because I think all of us here at Acorn really agree that one, one week is not enough by any means to show teachers appreciation, but it's all very, it's kind of surface level appreciation. I want to I want to ask you now what do you think is one thing that you or your fellow teachers could really use to be shown that appreciation and and help you develop professionally because that I think that is a big part of teacher appreciation is helping you to develop professionally um what is one thing that that you either wish you had or that you think has been really helpful in that that support appreciation and helping you grow professionally? I think one way that could really help me develop professionally is to have like a mentor, a teacher, someone who has been in the profession for much longer than I have, someone who has seen the ups and downs and someone who knows um, how you're feeling, right? I'm a fifth year teacher. And statistically speaking, fifth year is the year when, you know, teachers either stay for life or they leave the profession. And unfortunately, many teachers choose to leave the profession. And so um, for a young teacher like me, um, and it ties back to the hope element that I was talking about earlier, um, when things get tough and when you don't have a lot of sleep and when you're very stressed and when there's a lot of pressure on you, 
um, it's very easy to lose sight of why you want to do this in the first place. And I don't blame anyone who chooses to leave teaching this profession for something else because I understand how hard it is. Now, if I have someone who's much older than me who has gone through it all to then support me and pour into me and listen to me in that moment, then it would mean so much. It would help me to have a, you know, not a short-term narrow perspective on the career, but have a long-term and much wider perspective on um, my job, you know, because I believe all teachers come into this profession believing that they are making a difference, that they are actually um, impacting their students. When we lose sight of that, it's very easy to get disillusioned. So for someone older to tell us that we are still making a difference and that we are still impacting students in a positive way, even if we're very limited, that is going to be very, very helpful. And that's just the emotional aspect of support from a mentor teacher. I think um, just, you know, teaching as a craft um, professionally, um, a mentor teacher can also contribute so much um, just by offering advice, offering different techniques that they use, and offering a different perspective. Um, that would help a lot. Yeah, I think everybody um, would agree that mentors provide um, a lot of support, as you mentioned, in both just acquiring concrete skills, but also working through some of the tricky, um, like emotional or even personal development related, um, related questions and concerns. Um, Are there existing teacher mentorship programs? um, Like do teachers get like, especially if they're new teachers coming right out of college, do they get paired with mentors? How does the whole yeah mentorship arena look like in, in the teaching sector? Um, what I can say is, from what I've heard, um, you know, t- uh, people who know they want to be teachers, you know, in college would often get student teaching experiences while they're still getting their education degree. Um, and, you know, you have to have that student teach experience in order to be certified. For an alternative program like Teach for America, what I had was a summer training, um, which did include student teaching in the classroom, but it was for a summer term. So obviously, teaching during the summer is very different than teaching you know, for a year in the classroom. And so what I had was a very abridged version of student teaching. And while it was still helpful in many ways, um, and I can imagine it being very helpful if you had a year of that um, while you major in education, but what I think would be even better is if we don't stop that mentorship after one summer after one year, but we have, you know, a longer term mentorship in the school where you are currently employed, um, that would go a long way for um, young teachers. Thank you, Anna, for sharing that. It You stated it so beautifully. And I think it leads so beautifully into our last question, which we ask all of our season two guests. And That is, what is your vision for the future of teacher appreciation? 
I would reiterate um, on you know the idea of respect as a form of appreciation in the day to day. I also want to advocate for you know higher teacher pay. Um, at the end of the day, I think that's what will attract and keep talent in the pool. Um, unfortunately, teachers in this country are not properly compensated for the job, and it is very easy then for you know many in the profession to want to just do the bare minimum because bare minimum is how they have been paid and compensated, and. I also know that many teachers have to work um, several jobs in the summer or having side hustles just to make ends meet for their family. So I think we need to put our money where our value is. And I think public education is what sets the standard for a productive and responsible citizenship. And our value should be there. It should be investing in um, the next generation. And public education is definitely an indispensable tool for doing that. So um, as frontline workers, as teachers, we then need that respect and we need um, to be properly compensated to do our jobs well and to pour into the next generation well. Thank you. Thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today and for um, speaking with us so candidly about your experiences and your visions for teaching as a profession and also for um, kind of articulating all of that on behalf of all the other teachers. Thank you for inviting me on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. So please visit us at acornlabs.org to provide your feedback, recommend future topics, and nominate teachers or educators to be featured on this series. See you next time.